Over the past few weeks, we've seen rising numbers of COVID-19 infections here in Japan and around the globe, facilitated by new strains of the virus that are more infectious. Growing concern over what will happen if a new strain spreads throughout Japan has brought in a new wave of restrictions at Japan's borders, once again throwing the plans of many people hoping to live, work and study here into limbo. Limbo is a very good word for it. It's, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. I really don't know what's going to happen. So I'm trying to prepare for like every case scenario. Sam Seegers is one of these people. She's currently staying with her parents in a birdsong-filled town outside of Brisbane, Australia, waiting to hear whether her visa to study at a Japanese language school in Kyoto will be approved or not. So I had, well, or last year I was in the process of selling my house and I was planning to sell my car and my car's gone, the house is gone, and now I've moved out of there. So I'm kind of homeless at the moment um, in the sense that I can stay with my parents, I could stay with my brother, friends have offered spare rooms, but I I don't know where I'll be living in, say, three weeks. Sam is no stranger to Japan. She lived here for 12 years, up until 2009, and wants to study Japanese so that she can bring her yoga students from Australia to experience Japanese culture here. So I work with a calligrapher, I've found some incense ceremony people to work with, and I would like to work with other providers of those traditional Japanese mindful activities and integrate those into a retreat so people can get to know more about Japan at that more traditional cultural level on the calm Japan side of things. Sam should be a shoo-in for a visa, but for now all she can do is wait and hope for it to be approved. The shared story of so many people throughout this pandemic. It's strange to be on hold at this point in my life. You know, it's... I. I need to be moving forward and getting myself to a point where I am a little more settled. And yeah, this year and this year and last year aren't really settled wouldn't be words we'd associate with either of those years at this point. <laughs> From the Japan Times, I'm Oscar Boyd, and this week I'm joined by Japan Times staff writer Magdalena Osumi to look at the fresh round of restrictions at Japan's borders and what they mean for foreign residents here. Magda Asumi, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you after all these months. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the first one we've done in person since the pandemic began. So yeah, yeah thanks for joining me. Thanks for sitting opposite me. Uh, masks on, of course. Uh, so since we last spoke in August, lots has changed at Japan's borders and continues to change as we speak. So why don't we start by looking back at some of the changes that occurred during the autumn between when we last spoke and the fresh round of restrictions we've just seen introduced. I think the last time we spoke, foreign residents couldn't really enter Japan. But since then, restrictions on um, imposed on residents have been heavily relaxed. From September, uh, residents were allowed to travel quite freely, but they had to inform the Immigration uh, Services Agency on their plans. This is the document that people had to submit to immigration officials prior to leaving Japan where they had to write down when they'd be leaving the country and when they plan to return and have it approved before travelling. 
Yeah, the, the, the reason why the, the, the agency actually want, asked for uh, that information was to keep track on uh, how many people were leaving and were planning to come. Because uh, let's be honest, the government wasn't prepared to accept uh, so many travelers because of their limited uh, testing capacity at airports. Mm-hmm. And after that, <clears throat> in response to growing criticism from uh, especially from the foreign community, uh, but also business groups. From November, the government relaxed uh, the restrictions and allowing people to travel without informing mm. the government on, on their plans. Mm-hmm. So that's how travel restrictions ease for foreign residents. But during the autumn, how did things change for people who were seeking to move to Japan and didn't have resident status yet, who had previously been denied entry since April? It's interesting because in when Japan thought it had dealt with the second wave of infections and the situation was looking a bit like brighter, mm-hmm. the government started allowing people who had applied for visas. And from October, the government started allowing new entries into the country, but there were certain conditions to be met and only a portion of those applications actually was granted permission. It was a temporary opening of the borders, but it was a change to the policy that allowed some people who had been waiting for their visas since the beginning of the pandemic to enter. But it ended in recent uh, weeks, months. So it was a temporary change. You mentioned there that there were some conditions attached to people being able to gain residency in Japan. I think the most infamous of which is the written pledge that organisations had to sign on behalf of the people that they were sponsoring the visa for. Uh, So could you tell us a bit about that pledge? Yes, the, the government started demanding the written pledge from employers and organisations that accept those foreigners to assure that they will abide by the, all the quarantine regulations in Japan uh, upon arrival. But the problem is that the companies co- that decided to provide the assurance for their new employees, they risked consequences such as um, having their names disclosed if the person who is coming to to the country, if that person actually, like for instance, breached the conditions for entry. So these companies were on the hook. They were responsible for the people that they were bringing to Japan, employees, students, etc., etc. So this must have discouraged a lot of organizations from sponsoring those applications if they were worried that they were going to be held accountable for the actions of those people. Yes, because um, once they sign the document, they can face some legal consequences. So it's it's not surprising that so many, like even major companies, actually were hesitant to uh, to sign those documents. Mm-hmm. Throughout the autumn, of course, international tourism to Japan continued to be banned. But some business travel did also start to resume. What allowances were made for business travellers? Since uh, June, Japan gradually relaxed entry for business travellers, mainly from countries where the situation was uh, getting better, when uh, where the pandemic situation was to some extent under control. Mm-hmm. And they included Thailand and Vietnam. And since June, when those programs started, 
more than 130,000 people came using those schemes. So it was a, a chance for Japan as well to get their, uh, the foreign workforce they, they needed. So those business travel schemes covered both people who were here for short-term business travel as well as those who were planning to stay in the country to work for a longer period of time. Like there are two um, schemes under which you can apply for uh, a certain visa. So those schemes are for short-time business travelers and long-term travelers. And conditions for quarantine uh, policy was also different for those travelers. And in fact, people who traveled using that, um, that plan, that program for short-term travelers uh, were exempted from the quarantine rules, they were not allowed to use uh, public transportation, but they had some like relaxed conditions uh, for their quarantine here. On the other hand, they, uh, the screening process was quite strict and they, were, uh, they had to be tested before coming to Japan. So it's not like, they, like Japan allowed like, everyone from abroad and in and without uh, any control of, uh, of the situation. I think the autumn can be described as a period of relative relaxation at the border. Tourists weren't allowed in and many people were still left in limbo but things definitely improved from the situation that we had in the spring and early summer when we saw residents properly trapped by the border restrictions. More recently, however, starting just before the new year, we've seen a new raft of restrictions come into place. So what caused this new round of restrictions? Yes, in recent months, we've seen several new strains of the coronavirus and uh, one of those strains was brought from Britain. When we saw reports about uh, the, the new strain uh, of the virus, uh, which was imported by a Japanese national who traveled to the UK and was found to have been infected after arriving in Japan, many politicians uh, started objecting to uh, the re relaxation of travel restrictions out of fear that if the situation outside of Japan uh, gets worse, they, then it may somehow affect the situation inside the country and they may, it may contribute to the rise of infections here. Mm -hmm. And the particular worry here is that the UK variant of the coronavirus is thought to be up to 70% more infectious than the strain that Japan has been dealing with for the majority of the pandemic. Yes, we still don't know much about uh, the new strains and uh, we've also seen a new uh, variant in South Africa. And then we saw reports of the newest strain, which was brought to Japan from Brazil. So this uncertainty apparently um, has a lot to do with the fears, uh, concerns among politicians that if we keep the uh, borders open, the number of infections in Japan may rise. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the new restrictions and requirements that have been implemented at the border in response to these new strains? 
the government decided to impose new restrictions on, maybe not, I shouldn't say restrictions, they introduced some new requirements for Japanese uh, people returning from abroad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very fair <laughs> decision. It's, it's, it's sensible because we know that the new strain, for instance, was brought by a, uh, the, the new strain from discovered in Britain was brought by a Japanese national. And... Um, Last year, we've also seen many reports about cases, uh, coronavirus cases uh, detected at airports. Until this month, Japanese people weren't exempted from those regulations and uh, could enter Japan without um, getting tested before uh, their departure. But now Japanese, uh, Japanese uh, people returning from abroad now have to submit a negative test result uh, for COVID. Yeah, it's strange that that requirement wasn't implemented much, much earlier and that only foreign residents entering Japan had to get tested before boarding their flight until this recent change. Yeah, and that, I, I believe it's really, it's, you know, last year the foreign community felt disappointed in how they, how uh, different it was treated by the government and uh, the whole plight for equal treatment was about being treated fairly. And I've seen many politicians who are stressing that foreigners entering Japan don't want to be tested. And it's not really the case. Mm -hmm. It's the, the point is that if they are tested and they have some, uh, have to meet some conditions for entry, it would be fair if they, if Japanese people re-entering from this, coming from the same uh, regions affected by the pandemic, if they also have to abide by the same rules. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So pre-flight testing for Japanese citizens is one big change for re-entry to the country. Looking at some of the other groups we discussed earlier, what's changed for people who are hoping to get visas so that they can live, study or work in Japan? So we are seeing uh, many people have a sense of déjà vu, uh, I think. So once again, the government banned all new entries to Japan. So technically from January, uh, even people who have obtained confirmation that they are eligible to enter Japan and they can get a new visa. And usually it comes in the form of a certificate of eligibility. They can't enter since January the 4th. And just to confirm, because I know there's a lot of confusion around this, this restriction only applies to new entries. So for people who don't yet have resident status in Japan, it wouldn't affect someone who already has residency here who is hoping to leave and return to Japan. Yes, there, there's been a lot of confusion. And I know that um, some reports in Japanese media claiming that now Japan has banned all foreigners from entering uh, it's mm. kind of misleading because um, well it's it is misleading because residents after all the criticism Japan got Japan is now allowing residents to re-enter which is definitely consolation to those of us living here but I'm sure it's not much help to those who have had all their plans to move here thwarted by the recent changes uh, do we know how long Japan will be continuing to suspend the issuance of new visas? Right now, the, the ban is uh, supposed to remain in place until the end of 
state of emergency in Japan, which means that uh, it's set to expire on February 7th. But uh, we don't really know how what the situation will look like after that. So we can expect some extension to those restrictions. So the earliest possible date we can expect the issuance of new visas is February 7th. Yes. Now moving on to current residents who want to travel out of Japan and return. What new restrictions have been put in place for them? The newest uh, restrictions are much stricter than than the previous ones because the government is now demanding all people returning from abroad to sign a written pledge mm. that they will not break the quarantine rules. And everyone is asked to sign this pledge to abide by the quarantine rules, whether they're Japanese or foreign residents. Yes, and there's there's still a 14-day quarantine period uh, upon arrival that people need to observe. And uh, during that time, uh, people can return home, but they are not allowed to use public transportation except for one train on the Keisei line connecting Narita and Tokyo and downtown Tokyo. But there, were, there there have been so many cases where people broke the quarantine rules and the government is now trying to to make people be more obedient. Mm. And, and what are you agreeing to when you sign this pledge? What are the potential consequences if you were to break it? Once they agree to it, people who come from abroad they breach the quarantine rules may be named and shamed. So now you can have your name disclosed publicly uh, if you if you break the quarantine rules. And foreigners, regardless of how long they've been in Japan, uh, they may even face deportation uh, risks because they may have their visas revoked if they are found to to have breached the, the rules. So the treatment of foreign residents and Japanese citizens here is really quite different. Both can be named and shamed, but foreign residents have this extra clause that they're agreeing to that means their visa and residence status could be revoked. Yes. So the government is uh, doing everything in line with all existing laws and they can't revoke Japanese nationality, apparently. So within all the limitations, it's the only possible way to to name and shame uh, Japanese citizens. And do we know if the government is actually actively monitoring people once they've signed this pledge? Because one part of this is that people who've signed it are supposed to download a health app on their phone and allow their location to be tracked throughout the quarantine period. I hope not that they are planning to go after everybody. But we saw reports uh, about people who, uh, during the period where they, when they were supposed to, to self-isolate, they uh, went out and dined with uh, a group of people and then uh, what, what led to some uh, coronavirus infections. And I think that in case situations like that one, people may face some consequences. And um, what happens if you were to get to immigration in Japan and you're presented with the pledge and you just refuse to sign it? It's possible. Uh, the government uh, in in, their, in uh, the foreign ministry's announcement 
they mentioned that, that you can refuse to sign the pledge, but you will have to self-isolate at a, a facility that will be designated by the quarantine station mm -hmm. at the airport. And you will be, of course, uh, forced to cover uh, the expenses. So you are allowed to refuse, but it may be co more convenient to sign the pledge if you want to avoid uh, additional expenses and spend a two-week period at home. So it's a bit of a catch-22 where, yes, you can refuse to sign it, but everything is pointing you in the other direction. Yeah, so basically they're uh, encouraging you to, uh, to sign the pledge. One of the additional measures that's been put in place at Japan's borders is targeted at those people returning from countries such as the UK and South Africa, where new strains of the virus have been discovered. These returning travellers have to spend three days in a government-managed quarantine facility in Japan and have to test negative before they are allowed to return home to complete the rest of their self-isolation period there. Askarost is a friend of mine and left for the UK in December before the new strain was announced there. On his return to Japan, he was put into a three-day quarantine at a hotel near Narita Airport. So Asuka, you got tested before you got on the plane back to Japan. You got tested once you landed here, both times you tested negative. But what was the process of being taken to the quarantine facility like? So, so basically, they put a massive green armband on anyone who arrives in the UK, like, this guy is a threat to humanity. You go down like a little conveyor belt of, of humans and you one by one get tested. Then you get ushered out and you get your baggage and then outside there's someone who's sort of scanning for anyone with a big green armband and you get shoved into a bus. And so at that point, after baggage claim, there's no, no one checking me. I've got my baggage. With a huge green armband on, I'm thinking I could just take this armband off and then just go. And I thought about it, but then I realised, like you know, it's, it's dumb. They, you know, they know who I am. They got my passport details. They know probably where I live. So um, uh, there's no point doing that. So, you, so you quite sensibly left the armband on. Yeah, yeah. And so I got on the bus. They ship, ship, ship us to Narita, and we stay in this budget budget hotel whole thing from then took about eight hours while I'm at the hotel I hear that some guy left had the same thought as me green armband take the green armband off just walk out he did that and then the police came to his house the next day and um, took him you know off to a quarantine facility and he had to spend two weeks there oh, I'm surprised it didn't get worse and what was your actual experience inside the hotel like? So basically every day you get food delivered to your door. Uh, they leave them all outside the doors. And there's a tannoy that goes off and they say your food is ready to be collected. So everyone can then just open their door and then on the floor is food. When you're done, they, you're supposed to leave the garbage outside. So it's literally like prison. It's basically like prison. And I'm assuming the answer is no, but did you have any interaction with anyone once you were actually inside the hotel? So, so I spoke, you know, I would call Arissa every day. I would uh, talk to my parents and you're allowed to request things from the company so you can pick up the phone and call the front desk and they'll go get some snacks or something. 
from the, the closest company. No alcohol. I asked for beer. They said beer. I mean, that could have just been for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so actually, the other time, I interacted with one other person, and what had happened was I went to get my food outside my door, and the door closed behind me, and I was locked outside my room. <laughs> and um, obviously no one, no, no staff comes to that floor, so I had to kind of sheepishly go to the front desk and kind of really, like, quietly kind of make my way over and I just saw someone I was like hey uh, I'm supposed to be in quarantine and they freaked out they literally sort of like started like running backwards as fast as they can trying to like create as much distance between me and them as possible and they were like go go back upstairs go back upstairs we'll come get you go go back upstairs <laughs> um, that was the only other interaction I had with another human Okay, so so apart from terrifying the hotel staff, it was a pretty lonely existence. Um, did you have a good view, at least? It was of a runway and of a few parked airplanes. Right, so you've become a pro plane spotter in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at spotting Jetstar, and I'm good at being woken up by uh, flights taking off. And, and would you do it again? We'll go back to the UK. <laughs> So Magda, this three-day government-managed quarantine is supposed to give the government an extra window to catch anyone who might import the new strains of the coronavirus into Japan, you know, just in case they've had false negatives previously. I wonder, what do you think of measures like these? Like the newest restrictions are actually the, the newest uh, conditions with the three-day observation period, retesting, finally makes sense and can uh, help prevent the spread of uh, new strains and keep the situation under control. And I hope the government will try to strengthen these kind of quarantine system instead of closing borders every time we see a new strain, a new rise in infection, in infections abroad, because it may continue for months, for years now. So Japan needs a clear plan how to keep it under control. Magda, thank you very much. Thank you, Oscar. That was Magda Osumi. My thanks to her for joining me and also to Sam Seegers and Asuka Ross for recounting their experiences with the new border restrictions. Before we go, if you're enjoying Deep Dive, then please do me a favour. Write a review of the show on your favourite podcasting platform. It helps new listeners to discover the show. A big thank you to Kwang Kyung175 from Canada, who says, I've never listened to a podcast before Deep Dive. This is the first and so far the best podcast that I've listened to. That's a lovely message to receive, and I hope it remains that way forevermore, or at least until you discover Reply All. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, Podscale Summer.